So, there was a guy called Ray um, Haroon. Um, he came out of retirement to race in the first Indianapolis 500 in 1911. In those days, every racing car um, had a passenger, a mechanic, to check the oil pressure throughout the race and provide constant updates on the changing conditions. Ray decided to race without a mechanic. Instead, he installed a rear view mirror in his car. And this is the first recorded instance of such a thing. Controversy filled the air, but eventually they decided this wasn't a violation of the rules. In the end, Ray won the race. The average speed was 74 miles an hour. But the thing that changed racing was the use of this rear view mirror. As you might guess, it's become standard practice. I'm pretty much sure we can all testify to having used and seen a rear view mirror. We've been using the rear view mirror in cars now for 100 years. Um, and when we think about that, that's kind of like an illustration here and there of a story about cars, but actually it kind of applies to us as well. Um, and I asked us the question, do we have um, a passenger maybe in our lives that's kind of weighing us down, reminding us constantly of past conditions, of past situations, of past failures? Um, because the Bible talks about us being a new creation in Corinthians. And when we talk about baptism, which is what we've been talking about last week, and we're going to be talking about a bit more this week, um, that's what it kind of focuses in on. And it's about not letting the past keep us from God's future in our life because God has the best plans for us. He has plans to prosper us and plans not to harm us. Um, God is faithful. And um, looking back on God's faithfulness for us, his track record um, is a really good way of facing current obstacles and challenges because we can see where he's been. So whether that's where he's been in our own personal lives or where he's been throughout the history of um, other people uh, that have trusted in him, that have had faith in him, um, and also, I guess, in um, the narratives that we read in the Bible of different people's encounters. So when we look at all of this, and we bear this in mind, Peter has some reflections of his own. So today we'll be looking at 1 Peter 3. And he starts to touch on um, baptism. And we're going to read from about verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So Peter does this really kind of interesting picture. He alludes to Noah's Ark, which is a story which nowadays we tend to wholeheartedly avoid as much as we can because um, this, the accusation by um, atheist movements is well, genocide. You can kind of see that there. Fair play. 
and we kind of avoid that by the plague. But actually, when we look at the, the, the scriptures and when we look at the different stories and the different narratives, there's actually something very beautiful and very powerful. And there's some parallels and some layers that I'd like to look at, not just at that story, but um, through all the stories. So when we look at Noah's Ark, what we see is we see this setting in this context of a people which the Bible says were continually evil and wicked in their hearts. All they ever thought about was doing bad, was doing wrong. And so God gets this place where he sees one man whose heart is different. He sees Noah, a man who does the right thing, who's righteous. And then it says in this passage that there were eight people in total that were saved in this, in this incident, in this occurrence of what happens with this flood that kills everybody. There were eight people, so Noah and seven others. And when we look at that story and when we read the account in Genesis, what we see is there is one person considered good. But somehow, seven others get saved from what takes place. So one guy hears from God because of his heart, his actions, his intentions, and the kind of person he is. He trusts and believes God, and he sets about making this ark. And these seven people, yes, who are related to him and have different connections to him, all get involved in building this ark. And as a result of partaking in this, all of them are saved. And when I looked at that story and when I thought about it to, um, the last few days and this week, I saw something really wonderful that I think is, is really quite good and, and excites me about us um, together as a collective and as, as City Hill, is what I see is I see God calling us to be like this story. I believe he's calling us to kind of create an ark, really. And I believe he's calling us to kind of step out and to be a part of that in whatever capacity we can, we can play or whatever bit we have to play within that, whether that's individually in our lives in our sphere of influence or whether that's as a collective when we're here together that what astounded me about this story is one good man steps out with these actions and then others are saved and humanity is saved if you believe the account um, which i do is saved as a result of this and if we look at it it's like this whole clean state in this whole new world and then if we move further forward from the from the noah story and from the flood we find ourselves at another place where there's this new life and this new cleansing and this leaving of behind of what was behind them and embarking on something new. And that's with the children of Israel as they leave Egypt, when they come to the sea and they can't get across and they're trapped and God opens it up and they pass through the waters, leaving what was behind them and pressing on to the promises and the goodness of what God has for them. This is, these things, they're a symbol of what baptism is for us. And for us as Christians, one of the key and most wonderful things about both of these accounts is actually in both accounts, everything is set to be lost. Because even if you remove the story of Noah from the situation, if everyone's continually evil in this climate, this ark is this bastion of hope, of a new way of living, a new way of seeing things. And at the same time, these survivors are coming out from a place where they've never known what it means to have a day off. All they've known is to be slaves and to work, 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 like a like a Rihanna track. Like that's all they've known. They've just known work and not the kind of work she's singing about. They've known the kind of work about just building bricks every single day, no days off. Days off are for people who are rich. Days off are for people who are taskmasters. Days off do not happen for them. And yet they embark on this new life, this new way of living, that as they pass through these waters, they are invited to wash away and leave everything that was behind them. 
And with them, we see this constant struggle to, they got out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of them. And so when we look at baptism, what it talks about here is it talks about, um, and now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. That through the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, um, having all these powers subjected to him. So when we look at what, what baptism is, and when we look at what it means symbolically for us, is like for many there were different um, rituals of the day which were about washing and about cleansing and um, I don't know about you, there is that great, amazing feeling when you come out of a bath and out of the shower where you do feel like you have been made new. Uh, depending on how minging your day has been would depend on how much of a liberation that experience is. But for, for, for Peter, as he's writing this, there is this, just, this, this sense of... He's, he's, he's drawing a parallel with impending doom where society is going nowhere, where society is self-destructive, where society is evil continually and is facing God's wrath and receives this baptism through the waters and this saving grace. And then he speaks about the same thing with Jesus, like Jesus being this bastion, this ark, um, that Jesus being this means by which we're saved, that the reason that we do baptism here is that we can have a cleansing of our conscience, that we can have a new way that we... We take it as an opportunity to wash off what was behind us and look forward to the newness of his kingdom and his way of living. That it's not just kind of like, it's kind of a, the, with the conscience, it's about the mentality. So with Noah, they continually thought evil things in their hearts, continually, all the time. So they face this judgment. Now here, what Peter's saying is like, we're in, a, we're in the same boat, all have sinned, all have this body of death. But when we embrace Jesus and when we move into this, this baptism is, is about facing that same issue all over again and the seeking for it to be washed away. Now, in the Christian tradition, there is more than just one baptism. There's actually three baptisms. There's what's called the baptism of Christ, which is when we receive him. Because if you've noticed, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized in water. Like no one had time to pick up the cross and dunk him completely under a river and then like waterboarding him. Woo, yeah, he's out again. Woo. Didn't happen. He didn't. But Jesus said this day you'll enter me in paradise. There's the baptism of Christ, which is where we're baptized into his death and into his resurrection. So when we go into the water, what we're saying is like I'm going down and I'm dying with Christ and I'm coming alive with him. And so they have this symbolic act. So first you have the baptism of Christ, which is where you put your trust in him and you believe in his death and resurrection. You believed in what he's done on the cross for your sins. You believe in the newness of hope. You believe that, he, that through what he's achieved, we are forgiven, that one day we will be like him, that we will rise again. We believe in the resurrection. And then what happens is you have this water baptism, which is this symbolic moment. So in the New Testament, what happened is people would experience the baptism of Christ. They'd come to faith in him. They'd believe in him. And then they would literally find the nearest spot of water in most occasions, dunk them straight under the water, pull them out, which was like this symbolic act of like going, I know who I am. I'm not running away from my personal flood. I'm not running away from my judgment. I'm embracing it. I'm hitting it full on. They'd come out of that. And then the next thing that they would do is they would pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason they would pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is because the same issue in the story of Noah is that in their hearts, they were continuously wicked. They were always wicked. But what happens is when we receive Jesus, we believe in him, we acknowledge we're continually wicked. 
We acknowledge that we've got this issue. We face the waters of baptism because we're saying we want to wash our conscience clean. We want a clean conscience. We don't want to be who we are anymore. We want to live a different way. We don't want to always be inherently selfish. And then we come to this last part where we come to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit is because what happened with the children of Israel is when they left Egypt and they passed through those waters, 50 days after Passover, they received the law of God on tablets of stone. Now the tablets of stone were there telling you all the things like not to do and how to live your life and all that. But the problem with the tablets of stone were they were outside you and they were just that, tablets of stone. So 50 days after Passover, they received this, the law of God on stone. 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, 50 days after his death, you have, which is Passover, you have this moment in these upper rooms called Pentecost, meaning 50th, where the Holy Spirit comes and no longer is God's law and instruction written on these tablets of stone, not that they become redundant, they don't by any means, but they didn't solve the problem in Noah's day of man's heart being continually wicked. So in the prophets in the Old Testament, they said, and he will write his law, his instruction on your hearts, on the hearts of men. And so in this moment, what would happen is people would come to faith, they'd believe in Jesus, they would face their baptism, their judgment, washed away, cleansed, clear conscience, then they would they would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could be transformed from the inside out. So, with all this being said and done, like I've said the previous um, week and a few weeks in the build-up to this series, is in the summer, we are going to do like a baptism service. If there's anyone here who wants to be baptized, who hasn't been baptized, who wants to get waterboarded, I mean baptized, um, we will be doing like a baptismal service, probably at Toot and Lido or something like that, and then we'll chill out, have beers and barbecue or whatever south end end. we we could go south south end is south end a better proposition is it far yeah man it's it's two hours or should we do brighton if we're gonna go two hours well loch ness why not well we're gonna go somewhere you're either getting baptized in the loch ness monster in south end or the two in lido but there is a saint tropez saint tropez is now being thrown out as a legitimate option oh man yeah Marvin would be a, would be devilish in boardroom meetings. Yeah, it'd be like, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, it'd be like company blue. Have we thought about bringing out donuts? No, no, we, we don't make donuts. We're, we're a car company. We're a car company. Yeah. Why do we need donuts? They could replace the wheels and be edible. No, no, no. They're both round. So they're both round. But we're not going Saint Tropez. It's a great shout. But as I said last week, that is a matter for Reach Records. It's not something that we do. It's a bit too far. So we're going to be doing something like that. So if there's anyone who wants to get baptised, that's what we're going to be doing. And that's why we're going to be doing it. We're going to be doing it because Jesus commands us to, instructs us to. But ultimately we're doing it because we're acknowledging who we are, where we're at. We're acknowledging that um, we want a good conscience before God. But ultimately speaking, we want to move towards a place where we allow his spirit to transform us from the inside out. And so that's what this whole process is about. And that's where this tradition comes from. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And um, that'll be it for, for this week. Cool. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness and your, your grace towards every one of us here. Um, Father, we just love you. And um, you um, commanded your followers to be baptized. You yourself was baptized. And... Um, we look to follow in your footsteps in that way. 
Um, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that even before we talk about water baptism, um, there's the baptism that you've given us, the baptism of Christ, where we, we believe in you and we are identified with your death and your resurrection, that we may have newness of life. Would you come and breathe new life into us, Lord God, and may we be transformed by your spirit. And through the water, may we cleanse our conscience. In Jesus' name, amen.